0: John chapter 19, Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. New American Standard uses this word scourged, and it's probably appropriate because it's more than just beat or whipped. Jesus had already been beaten repeatedly. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. Then they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. I should pause here and say that there are many historians, many commentators who suggest that this is more than just a formality. This is more than just Pilate reintroducing Jesus to the crowd as if he were doing Jesus a favor. There are many who say that at this point, Jesus would have become so disfigured because of his physical punishment that he would have not been recognizable as the same man. When the chief priests and the officials saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered into, into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat and at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So then he handed him over to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and... He went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Hebrew is Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two other men, one on each side, and Jesus in between. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, King of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took, out his outer, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. I must pause there and say that people recognize that as uh, very representative of the tabernacle. The tabernacle that traveled in the desert was woven and in one piece. And he tabernacled among us. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lot for it to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They divided my outer garments among them and cast and for my clothing, they cast lots. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. Wow, maybe we should pause and just give a little shout, just a little one. Listen, let me read that part again so you don't miss it. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished. To fulfill the scripture said, I am thirsty. And a jar of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you may also believe. John is saying, I saw this. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture, not a bone of him shall be broken. And the And again, another scripture says, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound him in linen wrappings with the spices. How many pounds of spices? That's going to come into play Sunday morning. It's really hard not to get really excited, but just stay right here. So they took the body of Jesus and bound him in linen wrappings with the spice, and it was the, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Now the place where he was crucified, in that place there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Many of you will have a lot of things to do in the next 24 hours or so. Perfectly acceptable, of course. But I would encourage you, if you have, if you're able to, to carve out a few moments, and just be quiet in the presence of the Lord. This is our calendars aren't aren't exact. It doesn't even matter. This is an expression of our faith, and we recognize this weekend we just set it aside by faith and recognize what happened. So, so but at some point between this evening and. Sunday morning, I would encourage you to pause in silence and just consider what was happening. That the axis of eternity was shifting. The power of death would be forever destroyed. The power over mankind to keep him bound and shamed and broken and separated. That power was being destroyed. The barrier between God and man was being mended. And the, the two parties that had been in enmity, the Scripture said, would now become at one. That's the at one the atonement. But tonight, we, we intentionally pause and we, we look at, we try to understand just how powerful and how perfect the pain and the price of the cross is so that we will have hope, so that we will have confidence that our sin is paid for and that the power of sin is broken. It is so very common as a church boy to hear people wrestle with the weight of their own guilt or shame and to do so often. And I couldn't tell you how many times I have looked into the mirror of my own life and examined my own soul and have thought, Lord, can you possibly forgive me again? How could you possibly still be this patient with me? How could you put up with me this much? How much could you, how much, how much? And then we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we say that much. When we look at the brokenness of our world, I suppose it's easy in some parts of the world to, to see rose-colored glasses and see people behaving quite nicely, especially if they're comfortable enough in their various socioeconomic stati. But most of the time, that is just a ruse for the corruption that lies beneath. Those that cannot afford such a ruse live in the, in the, in the bluntness of their own brokenness and take that brokenness out upon mankind one to another using various tools from a very expensive weapons to rocks to words to their bare hands. Betraying one another, offending one another, wounding one another, committing massive injustice against one another. And you have to say, is there any hope? For such a broken world. Is there anyone who can do anything. For such brokenness and darkness. And there is one who has done it all. There is one who has paid it all. There is one who has overcome it all. There is one whose sacrifice. Is so great. So significant. Such an overpayment. That no amount of brokenness. No amount of despair. No amount of darkness. Can overcome Darkness is in the world, but light has come, and the darkness has not understood it. It has not comprehended it. It has not overcome it. We will, by looking at this sacrifice of Christ, it helps us to have hope and confidence that our sin is paid for and that the power of sin is broken. It wasn't just the physical punishment that Christ endured. Although his physical punishment was tremendous. The gospel writers do not write in great detail of what Christ endured. They tell us, but it almost sounds if you read it, it sounds a little bit matter of fact. He was scourged. He was crucified. And if we're not careful, we might think that the gospel writers thought it insignificant or unimportant. But if if we remember that these are real documents written by real people in their own lifetimes, the things that they were saying did not need explanation. For John's audience, for him to say that Jesus was scourged They didn't need more details. And for anyone in that era to hear that a a human being had been crucified. You see, not only was it common knowledge, thoroughly understood what crucifixion included. Crucifixion was so horrible. So debasing. Debasing. So, even unmentionable that it would have been indelicate, impolite, disgusting to talk about. The visceral disgust at the notion of crucifixion was just too much to write about, but it was understood. We understand that Jesus was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was handed over. We don't need to spend a lot of time on, on Judas tonight. But don't underestimate the significance of that wound at the beginning. For at the last supper, that table gathering of beloved friends, yes, John the Beloved leaned against Jesus on one side, but the person right next to him, dear, the dear, a dear friend of his, Who had followed him, who had passed out loaves and fishes and fed multitudes, whose hands had been laid upon the sick and the dying and saw them recovered. Who in the name of his master had driven out demons, who had been present to see Jesus working compassionate, powerful miracles side by side, night after night, week after week as another brother. Sitting right next to him was his friend, Judas. And for reasons that the scriptures don't make abundantly clear, Judas was a zealot. Judas was probably looking for the advancement of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a, again, a political kingdom in some sort of war. Some folks probably mistake that Ju- Judas perhaps just didn't like Jesus. Mm, that doesn't seem likely. What's far more likely is that Judas gave in to impatience and to, in, and to, and to irritation that this Messiah was not doing what he wanted him to do. And so he could incite, he could stir this thing up, he could speed this up by acting on his own. And in so doing, the Bible actually tells us he partnered with Satan himself. Betrayed. Jesus is first betrayed by a beloved friend and then abandoned by all of his friends. Then we know that he is taken into an unjust trial, all the aspects. It is not necessary tonight for us to go into the aspects of Jesus' kangaroo court that he was subjected to, but everything that happened was basically against the law. To be, He was tried at the wrong time for the, right, for the wrong reasons, with no, with no witnesses could agree on any one thing. It was all a sham. But following this sham, Jesus is is beaten, he is slapped, he is spat upon, the hair in his, on his face is torn off. Then the Bible tells us that he is scourged. He is whipped with what we understand to be what was called a cat of nine tails. A, a whip with nine straps that were laced with chips and bone and whatever sharp materials could be woven in. And despite appearances to the contrary, his flesh was not just stricken. This thing would wrap around and grab a hold of the flesh, and then when it was pulled back, it would simply tear the flesh off. That happening once or twice would seem to me to be excruciating and impossible to endure. Many of us probably assume that it happened 39 times because that's, a traditional number. But what we need to understand is that the Jews practiced 39 lashes, no matter what. They, you could only beat, you could only lash someone 39 times because 40 was irreligious. It was you, If you did it 40, that was too much. You stepped over a line of humanity. But it wasn't a Jewish man who whipped Jesus. It was a Roman soldier who whipped him. Oh, that's all right. That's okay. Could be somebody important. <laughs> you can help your mother-in-law, boy, for crying out loud. You're causing her to be embarrassed. Just run for it. It's all right. They needed a moment to digest this moment, this this process, this thought. It wasn't a Jew who beat Jesus, it was a Roman soldier. And a Roman soldier, according to my understanding and historical research is this, a Roman soldier would only stop beating his victim for one of two reasons. That Roman soldier was exhausted and couldn't do it anymore or his victim was dead. So 39 may very well be wishful thinking. Following this, in Massively inhumane treatment, more than enough. As a matter of fact, what I understand, again, from history is that, is that victims were never scourged and crucified. But Jesus was. Jesus is crucified, and, on, and the cross itself is an instrument that is designed, it is engineered for excruciating pain. The very word excruciating comes from the word crucify. It is designed, it is engineered for excruciating pain. It is also designed for total indignity. The cross is designed by, its, by to not only to cause the victim intolerable amounts of pain, but to convince not only the victim, but all who would behold that victim, that this victim is less than human. They, they were, they were, Jesus is beaten unrecognizably and then crucified in, in, without garmentless, no precious little white, a dignity robe that we used to have at the Easter place. Thank God I wore them. They hoisted me up as Jesus for a few years. I had shorts and a towel on. Thank you very much. But Jesus is crucified in such a way as to convince himself and anyone else that this victim was less than human, no longer a part of the human race. Then upon that cross, Jesus would as and they would have begun to bleed to death with these with these sharp instruments having been driven through their bodies in such a way as to to leave mortal wounds upon them. But that even wasn't the worst part in ways that I can't possibly go into explain this evening. The the, the cross as a mechanism by the way they were nailed was designed to not to really to kill the victim through asphyxiation. Have you ever been in a situation where you found it difficult to catch your breath and you started to mildly panic? Imagine for hours being nailed to the cross, being unable to breathe. Unless, of course, you forced your fractured body upon those nails and pulled yourself up to catch your breath. And upon upon which your muscles would seize and cramp and pain would rack your body. And you would drop down again in pain upon those same nails that held you and cease to be able to breathe again. The cross was designed for a long and slow death by pain. and As we read in our passage, that eventually they would break the bones of these victims just to speed the death along. Enough is enough. They would speed their death. But Jesus decided to die. When he said, nobody takes my life, I lay it down. He meant it. No, no one ever did. No one decided he was dead. He did. He looked around. He recognized it somehow, somehow in ways that I can't possibly understand. He knew that everything had been accomplished. He knew that it was over. And he said it is finished. The Bible says that he gave up this. He gave. He, he willed. He gave up his life. They came to break his legs, and they said, he's gone. He left. But just to be sure, they rammed a spear through his side, piercing his heart and the sack around it, and blood and water spills out. Friends, it it wasn't even the physical pain itself. We talk about it, and I... Just to make sure we understand just how significant it was, but it it wasn't the physical pain that paid your price it it was the fact that this physical act facilitated something spiritual and eternal on your behalf in that moment first peter two twenty four says that he himself bore our sins in His body, on the cross. Elsewhere, Paul said, we said last week in Colossians, that that, that the whole record of our sin, the the, the receipt of of our injustice, yours and mine and the whole world, that record against humanity was destroyed, was obliterated by it being nailed to the cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse, chapter 5 and verse 14, uh, Paul writes that God made him who knew no sin to become sin. God did this. You must say it with me, please. God did this. It is such a mistake. People will wanna, to want to want to humanize uh, the crucifixion in their atonement theory. They'll want to almost take God out of it. And just say, oh, that was, it was just simply an act of love. Jesus let himself be betrayed to show us how much blah, 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 blah. Listen, all of that is only partially true. You cannot take the hand of God away from Calvary or, it, or it's not effective. It is that the hand of man did not pay for your sin. The hand of man did not take your, your sin and my sin and all of our iniquity and lay it upon Christ. The hand of man may have pounded the nails and used the whip, but it was the hand of God that grabbed a hold of your iniquity and my iniquity and all of our sin and picked it up, pulled it off of you, and laid it upon the only one who could ever bear it. He, he became sin. you got to get that. So would you say that a lot with me? He became sin. He made him become sin so that you and I come, righteousness. It is more than just a change in a label. It is a change in content, in nature. He didn't just give you a new shirt. Mark chapter 15 verse 34 Mark gives us record of something that Jesus cries out and that in our understanding Jesus would have cried out on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me. It is the only time in the gospel accounts that our Lord Jesus does not address God as father. in that moment on that cross so sufficient so significant is this act jesus not only takes our pain and our iniquity and our sin upon himself he 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 doesn't just trade a sin for righteousness he trades us orphan for son because there was a there was a, a rate there has there, the human race has felt abandoned and felt orphaned ever since the fall of sin. Sin has crushed our understanding of God and our ability to relate with him has poisoned it and destroyed it so much that we have lived like orphans, begging and angry and hostile. And on the cross, the Lord Jesus takes upon himself and with his own words, he gives voice to an orphaned planet. And becomes himself the abandoned and the rejected. So that you and I forever will become the beloved. In Christ you are the beloved. You are the accepted. You are the chosen. You are the predestined. You, you, are, the, you are the destined for eternity. You are clothed in righteousness. You are the apple of God's eye. He took all our place. The pain And the price of the cross is without measure and it is without limit. His love was expressed without measure. His justice satisfied without limit. Therefore, whosoever will believe will not perish, but will receive everlasting life. On the cross, the justice of God was met by the love of God and in and by the death of Jesus Christ. So we look at the cross tonight and we see not only how God feels about sin, but we see more, much more. We see how he feels about you and we see what he has purchased for you. Let me read a couple of more passages. Let me go back and read the entirety of that, uh, that 1 Peter passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Just a couple of passages that remind us what he has purchased and how we live because of it. That this changes, it does, it's not just an ontological existing reality, it is something that, that changes not only who we are, but how we live because of it. Listen to First Peter chapter 2, verse 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might, so that we might, say it with me, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you were healed. Verse 25, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Listen to the book of Hebrews. The writer of the book of Hebrews is explaining to his audience or reminding his audience about the Old Testament practice of the high priest and explaining to his audience how Christ is superior Let me pick up chapter 10 and verse 11 of the book of Hebrews. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he, somebody say, but he, but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time on to, uh, onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them. After, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart, and on their mind I will write them. And then he says, "And." Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Therefore, verse 19, therefore, brethren, since we have such confidence to enter a holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, the cross does more than just touch your inside. It affects your outside. It's a complete redemption. He redeemed all of you. He paid for all of you, and by his stripes you were healed. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. We're going to gather around, let's, let's gather now around the, the table of the Lord, and I'll have those who are going to help us ush tonight begin to ush. It used to be that on nights like this, we, could, we prepared for sometimes a few dozen, but you all decided to come to church tonight. So we scrambled our communion supplies. Good job. Brownie, come and just serenade the presence of the Lord. As soon as our ushers are ready, I'll have you come and stand amongst the people, and then we'll pray before these emblems are distributed. And I'm going to ask you, as, as Aaron plays just a little bit, and as these emblems are begun be before, remember, come and stand and wait, and then we'll pray. Before we receive these things, as everyone is being served together, I would like you to just think about, Not only the significance and the completeness of the price that Jesus paid, but understand that it was paid for you. And I want you to lean in with gratitude for all that he has purchased. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll serve. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks tonight. We give you thanks tonight as we gather around the table of the Lord. We give thanks for the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for us. We gaze upon your sacrifice tonight, Lord Jesus, with wonder, with gratitude, with assurance, with great hope. In Jesus' wonderful name. Ushers, would you please serve everybody?